This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Hey, Joe, thanks so much for uh, coming on the Let's Go Show. It's good to talk to you. Uh, it's a pleasure, Chase. Thanks for having me on. So today we're going we're gonna to talk about experience, which I think it's fair to say that you are essentially the, uh, the godfather or whatever we want to call it, the concept of the experience in kind of the, the workplace and business. Obviously, you coined the experience economy uh, probably a little over two decades ago, but you've been talking about experience more than anybody for a longer time. I think your first book came out in 1999. So what, what got you interested in the topic? And I guess, how do you define it? Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that, you know, it's because I worked as a ride operator as a amusement park during my college summers, but that had nothing to do <laughs> with it, actually. <laughs> um, but my, um, my first book, which I wrote when I was at IBM many years ago, was uh, called Mass Customization. And it's about how do you efficiently serve customers uniquely? You know, give them exactly what they want, but at a price they're willing to pay. And I had noticed uh, for a long time that if you mass customize a good, right, a physical, tangible thing, you automatically turn it into a service. And one time uh, I was given a presentation, a full day uh, class, and you know somebody asked me, well, what happens when you mass customize a service? Because you talked about service companies. And I shot back that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, whoa, that sounds good. <laughs> Hold <laughs> on a second, I gotta write that down. And I realized it was true. And if it's true that, you know, if you design this service that is so appropriate for a particular person, exactly the service that they need at this moment in time, you can't help but make them go wow and turn it into a memorable event, turn it into an experience. So that meant that experiences were a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services, services were from goods. And that meant you'd have an economy based off of experience, just like you had a service economy that supplanted the industrial economy based off goods that overthrew the agrarian economy based off commodities. So that's where it all began. That was actually late 93 or early 94. Then spent a lot of time you know, figuring out what did it mean. And, and once you see it, you see it everywhere. Even way back then, people talk about we're being so ahead of the time. I said, no, you could really, you know, once, you, once you understood what was going on, you could, you could see it back then. People point to you know, Walt Disney and the creation of Disneyland you know, back in 1955 as a harbinger of the experience economy, which it certainly was, although experiences have always been around, but now more and more companies are getting in the, the experience business or they become commoditized. So why do you think experience has become so crucial and important over the last couple of decades? I think it's exactly that. When the book first came out, we talked about the nascent, the forthcoming, the emerging experience county, but now it's here. And, and so you ignore it at your peril. I mentioned commoditization. I think of it like the law of gravity. If you do nothing else, then over time, you will be commoditized. So you specifically have to counteract those forces of commoditization to get some differentiation in your business. And I mean, you do that in a number of ways. You can innovate in your core offerings, right? If you're a manufacturer, you can innovate more goods. You can, if you're a service provider, you can innovate in services. Secondly, you can customize, as I talked about. You can customize your goods and turn them into services. You can customize services, turn them into experiences. Or you can shift up what I call this progression of economic value, which is the primary way to gain differentiation 
and create more value for your customers. And that means that you won't be a commodity and that you'll be able to you know, have greater revenue and profits than you, than you would otherwise. And if you don't do that, then it's likely, again, that you'll just be, be undifferentiated like everybody else and, and you'll be a commodity. So do you have examples of where folks might not have kind of leaned into experience and where <laughs> you saw commoditization or vice versa, where people did lean into experience and they avoided commoditization? Yeah. Positive examples, you know, are all over the place. Uh, you think about a, you know, a company like Starbucks that when it first started, you know, c coffee was, I mean, coffee is an actual commodity. Farmers mm. grow coffee beans on the ground. And when they sell them, if you make the calculation, they get only around two or three cents per cup of coffee. But if you grind it, roast it, package it, put it on a grocery store shelf, then manufacturers, goods manufacturers, get five, 10, 15 cents per cup of coffee. If you uh, brew the coffee for a customer at a vending machine, a corner diner, a bodega, 7 Eleven somewhere, now you can get 50 cents, dollar, dollar and a half per cup of coffee. But surround the brewing of that coffee with the ambiance in the theater of a Starbucks and now you know, with a place where you spend your time and have time well spent there. Now you're paying three, four or five dollars or more uh, per cup of coffee. And so you can see it clearly in that industry and, and many more. And, and interesting, I think one of the most laggards, in fact, in retail, and it should have been very plain to them over the last year and a half where people could not go into retail in the same way they are before. People want to buy the goods they get at retail on a commodity basis. They want, in fact, goods and services, including the merchandise and services of a retailer, to be commoditized so they can spend their hard-earned money and their hard-earned time on the experiences that they value. So when we save money and time by buying online, by getting contactless delivery, by any of those means, then we're freeing up our time to be able to have the experiences that we enjoy. Obviously, the last year and a half of the pandemic, we haven't been able to have all the experiences that we, we value. But, you know, so we shifted from physical experiences to digital experiences. But now that everything's opened up, that's coming back. But re so many retailers have their head in the sand and don't realize that they especially now have to give their customers a reason to come into the store. Right, the reason to come into the physical place. And it's not the merchandise because they get that anywhere and they have it delivered to their home. It is for the experience. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the pandemic, obviously. Do you think that the pandemic taking something away can to some degree make it more desirable? Do you see experience, particularly real world experience, being almost more important? Is you know, we've we've been somewhat deprived of it for the last yeah. year and a half? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, there's just, just this tremendous pent up demand for these real world experiences. Again, we didn't give up our experiences. We spent a huge amount of money in streaming services and in bringing mm -hmm. movies and TV shows into our home and, and uh, Zooming and, and so forth, music, you know, all of that. Uh, and many new genres of experience that popped up because we couldn't go physically to places. But now there is that pent up demand where people want again to have those experiences and they and you need to uh, to be able to meet that demand in, in what you're doing, especially because of COVID. I'll say also that, that one of the things that happened because of the pandemic is a recognition and a shift, not a wholesale change. There's never, never ever a wholesale change economically, but a shift from the, what I'll say, the merely memorable experiences to the more meaningful experiences that we do want uh, those meaningful experiences because we recognize that you know we really don't need more stuff we've got enough stuff in the developed world 
Uh, but what it gives our life meaning is those experiences that we have. And we couldn't have them when people are separated, you know, not just from friends, but from their grandkids, you know, for uh, for months, if not a year at a time. They recognize how meaningful those experiences they have and, and they, they want to have them, you know, where they live, where they work. Employee experience is incredibly important today uh, and where they, you know, so-called play, where they, where they go out for experiences. When you first kind of came up with the experience economy, did you have a hard time selling it? Because it seems so <laughs> obvious now. So, yeah, you know, it's, it, I could still remember when I first started talking about it. It probably only lasted two or three years. But I used to have to argue with people, <laughs> right? I used to have to really make the case and show data that experiences were a distinct economic offering, that we were coming into Experience County, why it was so. so. And, and I can only remember, you know, like a few people that are really, truly reticent. And, and some of them, like, like, it wasn't that they didn't believe it. They didn't want to believe it. I can still mm. remember an old review, one of the first reviews you got of the old Industry Standard magazine. It was one of those that went fast during the dot-com. Uh, but whoever wrote that review said, this book scared the hell out of me. Right? Oh, true. Remember that, right? <laughs> so the people that had that reaction, that no, this shouldn't be happening. But today, no. Today, I just, this happened the other day. I, I met a neighbor. We moved last year, right? So I met one of the neighbors I hadn't met yet. And she said, what do you do? And all that. And I talked about the experience. I said, oh, yeah, I get that. And I said, exactly. That's what happens now. All you have to do is say it. And people get it now. You don't need to marshal the data and that because it's in the air we breathe. It's all around us now. We all know we prefer experiences over things. We all know they make us happier than buying things. And so uh, we were full-fledged in the experience economy. Yeah. You know, it was like the AEGs, the Live Nations, a lot of the yeah. kind of entertainment companies were doing all that research showing how much people wanted to spend their disposable income on experiences rather than things. So you've certainly set off a movement. You've been kind of the expert in this for so long. How has it evolved since, you know, when you started in the 90s to today? Obviously, the biggest difference is the rise of digital experiences. You know, smartphone didn't come around until 2007. We now got VR headsets. We've got all this ability to be able to use digital technologies to amp up the experiences that we have. So I, I wrote another book called Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value in the Digital Frontier to talk about how you can use that technology to, to ideally uh, create experiences that fuse the real and the virtual. I think that's the, the biggest place that we're going. The second big thing is it's not quite a science, but it's much more science than it is art, which back in you know, 20, 25 years ago is still largely art. There were, there were naturals, people that understood experience in their bones, could design them, could create them, and people look at them and go like, wow, how did that happen? And now we have much more uh, techniques and ways of measuring and understanding what's going on. We've got much more data to be able to do it. You know, all the, the principles that my partner Jim Gilmore and I talk about in the book, all the frameworks, they all apply today. There isn't anything. But there is some updating. Like we, we talked about the importance, one of the design principles is to mix in memorabilia. Well, guess what? Today, mostly memorabilia is a matter of taking photos and sharing them on media. You know, so we now call that principle mix in a memorabilia plus media. And it's amazing that one of the interesting things going on is that, that now people even use the term memory to stand in for the media, for the photograph. They said, yeah, I took a memory there, you know, or I created a memory and that instead of understanding I had an experience, took a picture of it and shared it uh, on it. But that's so how embedded that is in, in our lives. And so 
And the, the fact that it's reached so many more industries, you know, so many manufacturers now get into the experience business and others as well, you know, sort of much almost every industry you could point to. I mean, and I was going to say, except for retail again, but no, including retail. There's some <laughs> wonderful formats out there, but interesting, a lot of them are from manufacturers, you know, like American Girl Place was like one of the first formats that I thought was really a, an amazing retail experience. And it came from a manufacturer. Mm. But now I'd point to, I think the most vibrant retail experience out there is uh, Italy. If you've ever been to Italy. Oh, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, amazing place with all the, you know, they have they have commodities, right? You can buy the the produce they grow in the ground, vegetables and so forth in the grocery store. You can buy the packaged goods, the pasta and, and sauces and whatever else. You can buy appliances to be able to make Italian food out of the goods and commodities. You can buy services, the, the retail merchandising services, quick serve food and so forth. Then they have these wonderful restaurant and cafe experiences that sort of like, you're just like walking around a grocery store and all of a sudden you're in a restaurant. Oh, I might as well sit down and eat, right? Because it made you hungry. Right, right. And then even you know, we talk about the next level beyond experiences is transformative experiences, experiences that actually change us in some way. Uh, we call that a transformation, like uh, you're going to a fitness center, you want to be transformed from flabby to fit, going to school, you want to go, you know, have you know, different skills, different capabilities, higher earning potential, and so forth. You go to coaches of any kind is a transformation. Uh, and at Ely, they have an admission fee cooking school to turn you into an Italian chef that then is going to want to buy more appliances and more food and, and all of it that drives everything that they have. It was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, format. Lego stores is another one. And Lego as a manufacturer has you know, perhaps one of the, the, the biggest and ro most robust portfolio of experiences out there. Yeah, no, I we've got an Italy uh, in Back Bay here in Boston, and it was. Yeah. You talk about retail being a laggard. All of the retailers that happen to be situated in the building that has the Italy experienced tremendous lift just by proximity to Italy. Right. Because it was a it was a magnet, you know. <laughs> it's a destination. Yeah. You know, but they're also going to recognize they pale in comparison to Italy, and people might say, "Yeah, you know, why bother? I just had this great experience." Well, you mentioned, uh, obviously, you know, experiences didn't go away during the pandemic. Uh, there was just an emphasis on technology. So what do you see as technology's role in terms of, you know, designing and delivering experience? Well, it has a number of roles. You know, one is, is that, again, it gets back to the original mass customization, which is a core you know, DNA of the experience, Tommy, is guess what? Now we can interact with everybody on the planet, you know, basically with zero cost. Uh, we can remember what they do. We can remember the purchases, what they what they buy, and so forth. And so it enables us to better customize those goods, services, and experiences, which then turn them into transformations uh, for them. Uh, it enables us to, to to fuse the real and the virtual with virtual reality, augmented reality, alternate reality games, all these other other possibilities out there, including. Uh, hybrid experiences that are both real and virtual at the same time for different people and, and, and even uh, you know different places. And then one of the things that's uh, going on is uh, I have a colleague at the Strategy Institute that came out of MIT, and we just finished a multi-client study on experience platforms. And it's one technology that, that we think will increasingly be in use. We, you know, you're Platforms, commodities have always been sold on platforms. You know, the original commodity is the farmer platform is the farmer's market, right? Everybody, all the, the, the sellers came in, all the buyers came in, and then you went your separate ways. Now that's been digitized, of course. Goods were sold in platforms called shopping malls and, and services as well, and more in strip malls. 
Uh, but now Amazon and Uber and all of those sorts of companies have, have platformized those, if that's a term. Uh, and now we increasingly see that with experience, you know, with like Virgin Experience Days, Red Balloon, you've long been able to go online, look at all these different experience stages, buy one, book it, go have it. And now an Airbnb in particular, where it went, you don't have to just buy a or rent a, a sofa or a bedroom or a house. It's one of the experiences I want to have in locale. And then, of course, during the pandemic, what are the remote experiences I have that often you know, will add up to more spending than on the room itself? So the rise of experience platforms, we see them with employees. We see B2B experience platforms. And now I'll bring up HQO Chase, a wonderful experience platform around tenants, which like I didn't anticipate or think about until we got introduced to each other. So I'd like you to tell me more about uh, what HQO does to, to not just facilitate, probably a good word, uh, services for tenants and buildings, but, but what are the experiences that you have available on the platform? Yeah, we were the kind of movement you set off and what you see and what we've been fascinated with for a really long time is the concept of customer experience is so prevalent in just about every industry, right? We're obviously in technology and software where SaaS companies have been pretty obsessive about mapping the customer journey and really understanding every single touch point of the experience you have when you're interacting with a company. And, you know, we're pretty fascinated when you think about the physical platform that is the workplace, right? I know, yes, it's office buildings, but the workplace is a much more kind of broad concept now with digital technologies in terms of how, where, when people work. And obviously COVID has accelerated that. But one of the things that we're fascinated by is like, you know, the workplace is a platform, you know, it does deliver real world experiences that touch you know, a lot of people's daily lives, right? From your commute into the workplace to getting that Starbucks, the coffee you start your day with, the experience of getting into the building, whether it's the parking experience, getting through the turnstiles, how you book a conference room for a meeting, how you get lunch, booking a fitness class, like the things that you do throughout the day. It's a very, very rich platform of experiences some of those are not necessarily good experiences right right and you know we like to joke we can't necessarily change the experience of your boss but can we at least help change the experience of where you spend you know a lot of your time working and i think what's really interesting is how this has evolved kind of throughout covid but so much of the work experience needs to be digitally enabled to a physical workplace and so there's just a lot of elements of that daily routine that we thought for the end user were pretty inefficient or you know disparate in terms of stitching together a lot of different apps and experiences and from a you know from the owner's perspective or the employer you know the people running the actual physical workplace they have very very little insight and data into the experience for the employee and kind of what drives, you know, ultimately the workplace is a little bit different than your experiences, say a customer, but you know, the experience should ultimately be what makes people happy and productive, right? Right. How do you facilitate an experience that's really going to enable people to be kind of the best version of their work selves? And obviously we think technology needs to be the core kind of merging with the physical world and, and kind of delivering that. So you know, that's how we really think about this massive industry that is commercial real estate and kind of the physical workplace for employers that has been a incredible laggard in terms of 
you know, essentially joining the experience economy and it's potentially the richest opportunity. Worse than retail. Oh, much worse. And, you know, where, where people spend their hours, you just think about like the average, uh, you know, right. American, how they spend their hours every week. A lot of it's working, right? right? So it's such a, such a huge, huge opportunity to really be purposefully designed for great experience for the worker, right? Right. The short summary just the shortest phrase described the distinction between services and experiences is services are about time well saved, but experiences are about time well spent, mm. right? So you want that employee experience that tenants have, the tenants provide for employees there to be time well spent and even time well invested. And that's, that's the transformation level is that, is that the experiences we have are how we are, are the only ways we ever change. And if we can have experiences that make us better employees, better people, that make us better workers for our company, but also for ourselves, then that will pay compound interest and dividends now and into the future. Right? That's the, the time well invested part as well. Yeah. And I think that's such a, we talk about compounding a lot and it's such a powerful concept and it's simple, but it's also not necessarily well understood when it comes to experience. And we're talking about an industry that you know, for a very, very long time, loyalty has been predicated upon a lease construct, right? So it's a contractual obligation right, right. that you have, a, you have a lot of large companies that are signing 20, 30, even in some instances, 40 year leases. And when you think about experience, you know, a lot of people are going to work at that company. And potentially, if it's a 30-year lease, you might have somebody work for 25 years and retire before they see the end of the life cycle of that customer. So they don't have to care about the customer experience because right, right. you know it sits atop like first lien debt, the way that a lot of these leases are, are constructed. And you know what's, what's happening now due to it started way, way, way before COVID in terms of the internet has just increased the pace at which business happens. You know, the, the average life cycle of a Fortune 500 company is significantly shorter today than it is, you know, it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they just cannot take on long obligations. They have to be nimble in terms of their kind of, you know, human capital needs and how they use space to, you know, ultimately um, solve for for what they need from a people perspective. So the concept of customer experience to, you know, drive loyalty is just relatively new. Right. It's like right. you have this huge industry saying, well, you just sign a 30 year contract and price step ups are built in. What do I care about experience? So right. it's a fascinating time, but. So why should they, in your term, in your, in your thinking, why should they care? Right. If that's, if that's the case. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's literally exactly your point, which is like, can you think of anything more commoditized than a floor, a couple of doors and windows? Like, yeah, some buildings are nicer than others, but like, you know, Wi-Fi isn't that much of a, you know, connectivity is we get Wi-Fi anywhere. Like you consider de desks aren't that, you know, big of a differentiator. So like the concept of, you know, here are the keys to the floor. Good luck. Right. Like that's just not going to that's not it wasn't going to fly without COVID. But now COVID has forced a tremendous amount of budget to be diverted into kind of IT solutions that enable work from anywhere. So, you know, this class and industry has kind of sat in an area where there wasn't a lot of questioning of the ROI of their product. And now people are saying, well, what am I paying for? Can I show that my salespeople sell more? 
because they're in an office versus remote? Can I show that, you know, my, you know, in a technology company, my, you know, uh, product and engineering folks are more productive because they're in an office. And I think that's where, you know, you've always seen it in real estate, well amenitized buildings that have great experiences physically have always commanded higher rents, right? Um, But the pressure is going to be even greater now that, employees have tremendous optionality and how do you create experiences that uh, you talked about time well spent the difference between experience versus service time well spent is going to be you know am i inspired am i the better version of my work self if i you know take the investment of getting up and getting out of my house and going to this particular workplace so i think maybe more so than almost anything else. I completely agree with retail and some of these things. And you even see it in like healthcare, right? Like, but the the workplace is going to face a reckoning of you're either in the business of experience design or you're going to get wildly left behind. Right. Like you said, the optionality, even more so probably ever in in the history of the world have more options today with the ability to remote work. The fact that there's, there's uh so many job openings, many of the professional jobs can be done from anywhere increasingly that uh, that they have a choice of who they work for. And so one of the key differentiators, right, outside and, and sometimes even better than the more money you pay is that experience they have. Right. And vice versa, too. What's fascinating is what COVID has done is it's kind of changed the status quo on optionality of labor, right, in terms of you have these large employers kind of picking their heads up and saying, okay, well, if my headquarters in whatever city is it's in is not necessarily that important for people to come into, what's restricting me from tapping talent pools that are geographically more distributed, right? right? And do I need to take a, you know, a different approach to finding talent in more distributed fashion and what kind of cost benefits are there to that. So it's kind of fascinating to see how this is going to change how people think about workplace experience, because it truly bridges kind of from the the physical and digital in a lot of really interesting ways. But, you know, I don't I don't want to give away too much because you are our keynote speaker at our <laughs> experience conference in the fall. But I guess just to to end, what are a couple of maybe tips or tricks that you would give to particularly commercial real estate owners as it applies to, you know, really thinking about becoming in the in the business of experience? I'm not sure anything I say would qualify as a tip or a trick because this is hard work, <laughs> <laughs> right? You, you get, you know, I guess advice right, is okay. a bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the 2020 re-release of the Experience Economy, the third edition of it, we put it into these five elements that what you need to do is you need to stage experiences, whether it's to your customers, whether it's to employees, your tenants, you know, uh, whoever it might be. You need to stage experiences that are robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. You know, so we talked about transformative, the personals, the mass customization. Robust is having experiences that really hit the sweet spot of the experience. And cohesive is, is having that underlying principle, that organizing principle, or underlying concept that, that we call a theme, so that, so that you know what it is you're doing. It's, your, it's bringing intentionality to it. But the, mo- the sort of the quickest thing to think about uh, is, is, in fact, theater. 
that that when you stage experiences, your work is theater. I don't mean that mm-hmm. as a metaphor. It's not work as theater. I literally mean work is theater. If workers are in front of customers, they're on stage and they need to act in a way that engages those guests, uh, customers, audience of the experience. So, so the easiest way, it doesn't require any capital equipment changes or anything, is to direct your workers to act. Uh, to let them understand they're on stage and, and give them roles to play and help them characterize those roles and then perform them on your business stage. Well, that's great advice. And I do encourage everyone to go to our website to sign up for the Experience Conference this fall so you can get to hear Joe talk more in depth about experience, particularly as it pertains to what I think is going to be the most interesting kind of five and maybe 10 years, but probably faster, five years and commercial real estate that we've ever seen. But Joe, I appreciate uh, you coming on. I feel like we could probably go another two, three hours. Uh, but but I know we've we've scheduled you for about half an hour. So thanks so much for taking the time and talking to our audience. All right, Chase, I appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to October. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.